Welcome to the second episode of the Wrestling Rodeo Podcast. We're currently going back in time to the late 1980s and talking about some classic stampede wrestling from February 1987. I'm your host, Paul. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mitch. Hello, everyone. So last week we talked about January. Uh, this week we're going to talk about February. I'm sure our audience is already catching on to the pattern that we are going sequentially through the months and years. Yeah, it's a, it's a retrospective look at Stampede Wrestling, which is something near and dear to my heart. So our, our first show in February took place February 6, 1987. It opened with the senior referee in the ring who uh, was the referee for the January 30th match between Mock and Singh and Owen Hart, where Mock and Singh regained his championship. It was really interesting to see a referee act as a heel character. He took no responsibility. He didn't feel bad. He said that Bruce Hart threw in the white towel when Bruce Hart wasn't even at ringside at that point. And my favorite part of this promo from the referee is when he said the Calgary Sun called him a stupid moron and his response was, I have a degree. <laughs> but you got to love it when the local paper is getting involved. Well, especially when it's so sensationalized to it. It's not, oh, Owen Hart dropped his championship where a white towel was thrown in the referee thought it was... Bruce Hart who threw it in. It was just not Owen Hart lost his championship because that ref is a stupid moron. <laughs> uh, so, so we had a tag team match. The Masters of Disaster beating Jeff Wheeler and Ken Johnson. The Southern Alberta Connection. This was good. We spoke previously about how good Masters of Disaster are. They're well-oiled tag team. They're two big guys. They just took it to Wheeler and Johnson. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a beatdown. But you can see, I'm, I'm hoping we get to see a little more of Wheeler and Johnson going forward because I, I think they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, they're really young here. You can tell that they're being used a little bit as enhancement talent for the time being where, like Mr. Hito, they're just getting beat up by the heels to get them over and ready to face Owen Hart, then Basarab, and so on. Um, but I quite like their uh, their in-ring performance. Yeah, they seem strong to me. Like they really knew the moves they were doing. And going from these two enhancement talents to another enhancement talent, Ron Starr beating up Mr. Hito. I'm sure if our listeners listen to last week's podcast, they know that I'm really rooting to see Mr. Hito get a win. I want to see Mr. Hito get his arm raised in victory, but it's not on uh, February 6th, unfortunately. was not his day. Not yet, but he, he never gives up. He battles the entire way. He reminds me a little bit of Mikey Whipwreck in – ECW in the 1990s where you can tell that the audience that's there has a personal connection to him similar to 
how I'm feeling about him now in 2020, where I just want to see him win so bad. He has a little plastic pants in him. Yeah, he kind of does. There's a bit of that. I'd like to see this guy do well. Yeah. Our, our next match, Cuban Assassin defeating Ben Basarab by countout. The, the card system comes into play here. Well, with the Cuban Assassin, it often did. He, uh, you know, in Cuba, they, they don't follow the rule. I like the card system a lot, actually. It, it lets the referee enforce the rules without looking stupid, but it gives the performers enough leeway to poke and incite the crowd a little bit. Um, a lot of wrestling nowadays, the heels are doing it behind the referee's back or you know, just slightly off to the side in their peripheral vision where you think the referee should see them cheating and they just get away with it. Yeah, it allows a little more flexibility. Yeah, you you rely less on the referee getting distracted all the time. Plus, it it adds the stakes to the to the heel wrestlers cheating. Where okay, he's been caught once, yellow card. He's been caught again, yellow card. If he gets another infraction, well, it's a disqualification. So the crowd knows this, and they're paying attention. They know he's got two yellows against his name. Well, the referee gets distracted and then he cheats again and the crowd's livid because that should have been it. He should have lost yeah. the match. I love the card system. I'd, yeah, I I'm really not, like it. I'm not sure it would work nowadays for every show, every match. But if there was someone that wanted to do a stampede rules match, I think it could be really good. Well, it would be good for the uh, Opera Cup. Yeah, in MLW, if they used the Stampede Wrestling rules, that would be a lot of fun. But it had a lot to it, actually, because it was a good tournament, the last one I watched. There was some fantastic wrestling. Yeah, low-key and Davy Boy Smith. And if you added that in, yeah, it was, it was a great tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be kind of neat. Yeah, so Basarab hits the pile driver. He goes up to the top rope. Viet Cong interferes. That's not the finish, right? It's Ben Basarab is pulled to the outside by Viet Cong and he loses. But it's it's crazy to see a pile driver that's not used as a finisher. Ben Basarab hit him with a pile driver and then was going to go do something else. Yeah, and I don't know why, but the Cuban assassins seem to get pile drive more than anyone. I always thought it was because of the afro. Yeah, it gave him a little bit extra padding. Yeah, a little cushioning, with he? <laughs> a little safety for the move. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to see Viet Cong Express and Cuban assassins manager Drago Shivago get in the ring and get what he deserves. He's oh yeah, it's awesome to have a heel manager on the tv show where you go i want to see this guy get beat up and in the back of your mind realize yeah that's that's realistic that he would be beat up because we look at a lot of managers in the local scene and even on tv nowadays where it's not really reasonable to expect them to be beat up by the face in a match 
Um, you have Zelina Vega in as Andrade's manager on Raw. You have Paul Heyman as Brock Lesnar's manager. And it's not realistic to have Zelina and Paul Heyman be beat up. I have a feeling, though, we're going to see it. I hope we see Drago Zhivago get beat up. I really do. Wasn't there a match where he got hit, but we didn't see it? Mm-hmm. I seem to remember that somewhere along the lines. He got... Because he didn't come out for the match, and then he showed up later. And I think one of the hearts hit him. Yeah, you might, you might be right. But we, we go next to a loser leaves town Russian chain match where Viet Cong Express defeats Gamma Singh. And Viet Cong on this show, it really shows the um, how much of a tweener he was because he'll come out and he'll wrestle Gamma Singh, who is just absolutely despised. But then in the same show, he interferes and costs Ben Bassarat, who's probably the second baby face behind Owen. He costs Ben Bassarat a match. And I wasn't expecting to see a character with such shades of gray in 1987. I really like the subtlety of the character and not knowing what he's going to do next and not knowing who he's going to wrestle or who he's going to uh, interfere and cost the match for. Yeah, and you, you just have a feeling about him that you're, you're right. It's a gray area. You're not really sure if he's altogether a bad guy, which is why you, you will hear the, the crowd cheer for him every now and then, even though the week before you saw him cheat and burn the good guy out of the, out of the belt or out of the mat. Yeah, and just like their match in January, this match between these two was fantastic. It was brilliant. They might be two of the most underrated performers in Stampede Wrestling from this time, at least in terms of international or even national recognition. Yeah, really. They were, and they were huge to me. So, you know, at least Gamma was. But it was kind of before the big move to WWF. Our main event was Ron Ritchie defeating the champion Mockin Singh in a non-title match. You could really tell that Ron Ritchie was experienced at this point and was a former champion just by the way he carried himself. Like he carried himself with that level of confidence that you, as the match is starting, you're going, this, this I know some shit's going to go down. Yeah, not intimidated in any way. Just just ready to go. And he's a talented guy. He really is. But the finish comes when Bruce Hart shows up and hits Mockin with a kendo stick. I wasn't expecting to see the face get the victory after someone interfered for him. It was it was a pleasant little twist. Yeah, and that's where I say the good guys don't cheat that good, but every now and then they cheat. <laughs> and the hearts were good at that, you know. They would, uh, if you really got them angry, they'd cross that line. Mm-hmm. So th- this was the first show uh, of the 1987 year without Owen Hart on it. And I-, I thought that it really gave the undercard a good opportunity to develop their characters, 
um, develop some storylines there, reintroducing Ron Starr, who was off in Philadelphia for a while, uh, advancing Ben Basarab and Viet Cong, setting up Richie and Machen for the title the following week, while well, well, still continuing the Karachi Vice versus the Hart family storyline. I thought this was honestly one of the strongest shows that we had seen so far. Yeah, it was a good overall product. I, I think anytime you get Gamma and uh, Viet Cong Express on a card, it's going to be a good show. Well, Gamma's going to be gone. He, he lost that Loser Leaves Town Russian chain match. So he's going to be gone. We'll see just how long he's gone for. Well, that's the thing about breaking the rules. If you get thrown out, you just break that rule. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so moving on to the following week, February 13th, 1987. Uh, we open with Duke Myers beating Ken Johnson. I thought this was a pretty typical squash match. It's a established tag team wrestler that has a size advantage over a newly trained member of the Stampede Wrestling School. Yeah, you kind of knew it was going to be one-sided, but it wasn't a bad match because of that. But it was still an entertaining match. We have a couple of promos coming after that. We have Johnny Smith, who is Davy Boy's cousin, I want to say, and uh, Brian Pillman cutting promos. They're both calling out Mock and Sing during the promos. I love that where wrestlers come in and they paint a target on the champion and go, I want that championship belt because. And this is part of what makes me really enjoy heavy metals work in RCW is you feel he really covets that championship and it means the world to him. And oh, you, yeah. get that, you get that vibe from all of these wrestlers coming in and going, no, I want the championship. That means everything to me. Oh yeah. And it's uh it's a big deal when a feud gets you to the point where you're not looking at the belt. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's awesome. Um, and again, this is just more guys popping up that are challenges for mock and sing. You've got Basarab, you've got Richie, you've got Owen Hart, you've got Bruce Hart involved in that feud. You've got Johnny Smith, you've got Brian Pillman. Now everyone wants that belt. I think Bill Kazmaier, uh, one of the previous weeks said something about give me a title shot too. Yeah, I think he said it's on his agenda or something to that effect. Our next match is Jeff Wheeler and Ron Starr. This one ends the no contest, which is nice to see. Jeff Wheeler didn't pick up a loss here, but the crowd's really behind Jeff Wheeler. He's wrestling a really fast-paced style. Um, and he comes across really sympathetic. Yeah, he's a likable wrestler. But, you know, he, well, and you always like the, the new guy. You want to see him do well. You know, not, not as much as Mr. Edo, but along those lines. Uh, and then Ron Starr basically just has enough and drags Wheeler out. 
he's trying to drag Wheeler so far out of the ring that he can't get back, but Ron Starr can get back to the ring and get an easy count-out victory. But the referee's count is a little bit faster than Ron Starr expects, and they both lose double count-out, no contest. Which was satisfying. It was really satisfying to see a heel wrestler's cheating backfire in his face. We move on from there. Big Bill Kazmaier wrestling. Big Carrie Brown. Bill Kazmaier wins by countout. That's one of the things that I've noticed about Stampede Wrestling is there, there's a lot of countouts. Yeah, not all the matches end the way, you know, end at all. Yeah. They wanted not to a... leave you a little unsatisfied at times, I think. Yeah, like you, you just don't have that satisfaction of seeing a proper victory for Bill Kazmaier. He still wins and you kind of go, yeah, yeah, this guy wanted to win, but it feels hollow almost. Yeah. And I remember, you know, week to week, it would be like, it would just be chaos and the bad guys would all cheat and win and the good guys would be like, that's it, we're done with this. And you'd be like, oh, now they're going to show <laughs> <laughs> and then the following week could be about the same thing. His tag partner, Duke Myers, comes out. Duke Myers and Carrie Brown beat down Bill Kazmaier. No one runs out to save Bill Kazmaier, but he's big enough to save himself. So he just fights two guys and then challenges them to a two-on-one handicap match the next week. Which is what you do when you're a superhero. Exactly. It was remarkable. Um, and Ed Whalen then says Bill Kazmaier is ranked number two for the heavyweight championship, which I didn't know there was a ranking system up until he said it. All Elite Wrestling is using a ranking system as well. Um, it, it's one of those things where you look at it in wrestling and you go, as long as it doesn't get in the way of a good story, a ranking system really legitimizes what you're watching. Well, and it makes the lower card fights a little more important. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not just a match, it's uh, if five can overcome six. Yeah, and th this was a perfect example where it's Bill Kazmaier wrestling Carrie Brown. If that has no stakes in the championship race or has no stakes in anything. Why is it happening? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, and with the ranking, although I, I did notice they don't talk about it a lot. So it's usually, they kind of invoke it when they're looking to build up to something, I think. That's true. Moving on. Viet Cong Express number one defeating Ben Basarab. I didn't know much about Ben Basarab before we started watching these shows, but what a talent. This match was the best one on this show, including the main event, which we haven't gotten to. And it's one of the best ones I've seen from Stampede so far, including the Owen Hart matches. These two really went at it. Great in-ring psychology. They told a really good story, even with uh, entering the match partway through. 
the move sets were varied. They didn't go back to the well, either of them too much. Both these guys are such a pleasure to watch. And I really came away from watching these shows with a new appreciation for Ben Basarab. Oh yeah. He was one of the top guys back then. You know, he just, you could put him in with anyone. You were going to get a good match out of him. He was just solid all the way through. And I, I found uh, a pretty good, good guy. You, you really pulled for him. Although I think uh, when you got the Viet Cong Express and Basarab or I'm kind of looking forward to some matches we haven't seen yet. Like the CN Owen Hart against uh, Viet Cong Express or uh, Gamma Sun. I think would be kind of amazing. Well, hopefully we see him uh, later in as we watch more Stampede Wrestling because I'd love to see those matches too. Oh, wait, sorry. Gamma's gone. It's wrestling. No one's ever truly gone. That's true. Our main event for this show was Mockin' Singh and Ron Ritchie. Mockin' Singh wins by disqualification. Again, it's the crooked referee. Um, there is a false finish where Ron Ritchie wins with the sleeper hold, um, but is ultimately showing the red card by the referee. The, the crowd is livid. Like, they want blood. They hate this. They, they don't want to have Mock and Singh as the champion anymore. But ultimately, this would have been the third match on the show without a like a satisfying finish so i kind of understand why the crowd's so upset about it oh yeah sometimes it infuriated the hell out of you one of the things i really liked about this match was actually happening after the finish that sleeper hold mockinson was out the referee had to get ron ritchie to wake Mockin Singh up and Ron Ritchie would only agree to do it after he was guaranteed a no disqualification championship opportunity the following week with a different referee. Which was a smart move. Yeah, I mean you you have you have all the leverage. You know, back then. Like what what are you gonna do? Just just leave them to uh sleep in the ring forever? Well, they didn't have good Samaritan laws back then, so, you know, you can let it go. I really enjoyed how much they dedicated to the sleeper hold being a devastating maneuver. Oh, and like I say, growing up, it always was. Like, I saw a lot of matches, that's what ended it. You know, but not the pile driver, because that just stuns you. I couldn't believe a pile driver used as a transition move. I, I still can't get over it. I've been so conditioned that a pile driver is a match finisher. It's over if that's hit. It's kind of jarring to see it used as a transition move. Well, it was in the early days. You had to figure out where everything stacked up and you used what worked before. But I think the sleeper move probably went away a bit because it's a little bit of a boring move. It is, but if you use it effectively, if you give it to the right character, it could be ripe for a renaissance. Yeah, you never know. It is, like I say, I grew up with it, and it was always, oh, he's got him in the sleeper now. The arm once, twice, and then they'd lift it the third time, and halfway down, oh, he's still there. 
So that wraps it for the February 13th episode. Moving on to the final episode of February that year, uh, February 20th. And then after this, Stampede went on a hiatus until May of that year. Um, So a lot of their talent would go over to Japan and wrestle for New Japan there. Um, But our next podcast, we're going to be jumping ahead to talk about May 1987. So don't be alarmed if you're listening to this. There aren't two months missing a Stampede Wrestling action. There just wasn't any event that was televised in that time period. So for this show, we started off with Big Bill Kazmaier with that handicap match. But Carrie Brown was out of town. Right. Carrie Brown was out of town. They couldn't find him. They didn't know where he was. So it was Duke Myers and the Scorpion. And if you were pinned, you had to leave the ring. So if Bill Kazmaier pinned Duke Myers or the Scorpion, it would become a one-on-one match and carry on. So Bill Kazmaier wins. He starts off by eliminating the Scorpion which isn't really a surprise. And then it's big Duke Myers and big Bill Kazmaier wrestling one-on-one. It was a, uh, it was a fun match. Nice take on a handicap match, elimination handicap, told a good story. I wish that they gave me an update as to what that did to Bill Kazmaier's uh, ranking. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because You'd think you should move up a bit with beating two guys at once. Yeah, you should easily be the number one guy. Because, you know, even though they got to tag in and out, you're facing a lot of two-on-one time. Also on the show, we had Beef Wellington and Mr. Hito wrestling to a time limit draw, which I'm cheering for Mr. Hito. He didn't lose this match, but he didn't win it either. So I, I don't know if I should be happy for him or if I should be upset. <laughs> I, I still want to see him win, man. I, I want to see Mr. Hito win a match. It gives us optimism going forward. <laughs> Maybe things will get better for Mr. Hito. If he can last that long, all he needs is to find one move in there and he can get the win. Yeah, he's, he's durable. If I had to describe him with one word, durable. Yeah, kind of the energizer bunny. <laughs> uh, we also had Ron Starr beating Jeff Wheeler, which I I like Ron Starr. I, I think he's a great heel. I think he um, he adds depth to that because he, you have Cuban Assassin and Viet Cong Express who are kind of well, they're, they're, they're the mid-heavyweight heels of the show. And you have yeah. Mockinsing and Gamasing, and that, that's kind of it for, for a singles heel role. Obviously, you still have um, Carrie Brown and Duke Myers, but Ron Starr adding depth to the, to the heel roster of Stampede Wrestling, he... I was really impressed by him. I've only seen him wrestle a couple matches now, and I've, like Ben Basarab, I've come away with a decent appreciation for him. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing some more of him. 
for sure. I, I think his character development is going to be good. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if he can coexist with the other heels because he's he's pretty egotistical. Like he he wants to be the guy. Yeah, he's more of a lone heel, I think. Yeah, like his character works, but I, I think he's gonna team up with someone, right? If if Gamma Singh is missing from Stampede TV for a little while. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Like him teaming up with guys here and there. Mm-hmm. But I don't see him being part of a group on an ongoing. Like I think he'll split between groups. And you just, it seems the type of character that you could do a lot with. That without absolutely. nailing it down to like he's always going to be Moccasin's guy or, you know, part of the the red. The red party there. Was that what they were called? Uh, what is it? Red faction? No. The communist party anyways. Yeah, we'll, we'll call them the, the communist party for now. I couldn't remember if they actually called them a name. Yeah, it's like comrade or... Either way, speaking of the red party... They were involved in tag team action in the next match. Ben Basarab and Johnny Smith, Davy Boy Smith's cousin, defeating the Red Party, Cuban Assassin, and Viet Cong Express. And this was a really good match. It was it was a really good tag match. Ben Basarab still continues to impress. He's not quite Owen Hart in the ring but he's a lot closer than you would expect him to be. Yeah. He was one of the top performers back in the day and he's, he's got a little bit of everything he's got. He can use a little bit of power. He can go airborne. He's a great junior heavyweight. Yeah. And he can out hustle you on any given night. And that leads us to the final match of February, 1987. The main event, the stampede North American heavyweight title being defended by Mock and Singh against Ron Ritchie in a no disqualification match with a different referee. You know, because the original referee was a cheater. And Mock and Singh wins the match. And I look at this and I go, Mock and Singh cheats in every match. Why would you try to challenge him to a no disqualification match? if you're not going to try to cheat yourself, Ron Ritchie. Yeah, that's, that's kind of an odd, you know, I, I could see it in a cage. Yeah, to stop the outside interference. But yeah. to choose no disqualification, why? <laughs> Here, here's a match type that's going to benefit you and not me. I choose it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to force you to uh, cheat without being disqualified. Oh, uh, okay. Are are you going to force me to use a bat as well? Because, you know, if I have to. No surprise when Mock and Singh wins this one and walks away with the belt. It was a good match. Just that that gap in logic really kind of, it threw me a little bit. (laughs) Because I I was left watching these, sitting on my couch and going, but that's just such a stupid decision. Yeah, well, like I say, I, I think he just 
didn't realize he should have asked for the cage as well. But he'll learn for next time. If there is a next time, I hope we see Bill Kazmaier take on Mock and Singh in the next couple of shows from Stampede Wrestling. That could be really good. Kaz is just pure power. Well, it would be such a different match than what we've seen Mock and Singh wrestle so far. Right? Mock and Singh is wrestling a where, where he's used to being the power, where he's used to being in control physically. He's wrestling smaller opponents in Owen Hart and Ron Ritchie. Facing off against a guy like Bill Kazmaier, who is massive and strong, it it would make Mockinsing have to wrestle a different style of match. Yeah, I think so, you know, and and also cheat. Yeah, he might just have to cheat harder. You know, you know, sometimes you gotta dig down deep and you gotta get that foreign object and drive it into his head. Pull the foreign object out of the tights and just just beat Bill Kazmaier. That's what fortitude is. Uh, I'm loving watching Stampede Wrestling. And this isn't just because there's no wrestling during quarantine, but it is just such a refreshing change of pace from what we're so used to now on TV and, and even in person with RCW and PWA where like they, they have a handful of matches. They focus on telling good stories in each of them. There doesn't feel like there's any sort of waste it's a good mix of high flying talent and slower methodically paced wrestling. It doesn't a lot of the time watching WWE and all the wrestling because the talent is so good now and they can do everything under the sun. It feels like they are almost trying to overdo it. And they're trying to showcase everything they can do instead of asking, should I be doing this? There just feels like with these stampede wrestling shows to be more of a respect for wrestling psychology and less check out this cool thing I can do. Yeah, it was, you had to do more with less, I think. Because there weren't, you know, double backflips and a lot of the crazier stuff we get to see today. So you had to sell the moves you did have. Those, and you know, people have been developing new moves from the last thirty years. So, yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I love watching wrestling in twenty twenty. I love watching the products that we get now on TV and in person. It's just you watch Stampede Wrestling and. It's almost like two completely different interpretations of the sport. Well, and it reminds me of uh, watching an old show about Alfred Hitchcock and how much effort he put into everything about a shot in the movie, from the lighting to the music to the shadows. And I think today you can make an almost exactly you know, exact duplicate of the scene you're trying to do. But because you can do that, you lose a little bit of how much focus you had to put in when people could see the cardboard. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you had to be better at certain things that you can kind of get away with 
not being as good at it today because the presentation's a lot better. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting analogy. And I think it was true back then. They just they they had to figure out you know how to and you know you got away with a lot more back then too. Totally, but at the end of the day, I love Stampede Wrestling. I I feel like a really proud Calgarian that I can say that now, instead of always kind of thinking, well, what's what's the big deal about Stampede Wrestling in the 1980s? Like, what what was so special about it? It's a special show. It's a lot of fun to watch these. Oh, yeah. I'm so looking forward to future ones. And I absolutely love wrestling now, too. The independent scene that we have here has some of the best talent in the country. And as soon as this quarantine's lifted, I can't wait to go to a wrestling show and show my support by putting not only my butt in the seat, not only your butt in the seat, but a bunch of other people's butts in the seat too. Yeah. Cause it's always better with more people and everyone just loving and watching wrestling and celebrating. So that's about as good of a sign off as I'm going to have. Well, in the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of wrestling rodeo. <laughs>